Good morning, everybody. As you're able, would you stand with us? In a world full of chaos and misinformation, we're gonna focus on some truth that we know and we hold together, okay? So as you're able, I invite you to sing out and worship and focus on the Lord with us this morning.
No longer a slave to 
had so many conversations with so many different people lately where every, not everybody, but a lot of people I've spoken with are kind of feeling a feeling of listlessness, a feeling of this is not fun anymore, I'm over all of this, I don't want to do it. I just kind of going round and around that train, right? And I myself have definitely fallen into that trap a time or two where this is not fun. I don't want to be locked down anymore. Can we, can we do something else? What, what's next? But I got to tell you, the times when I feel just so at peace, so calm, so just okay, even in the midst of all the chaos, is when I am with the Lord, with his spirit, being intentional with my pursuit of him, being in the word, being in prayer, in every tiny little detail that may not seem important, but asking God's presence and spirits into the little things. It's life-changing, and I know it seems like such a foundational thing, but sometimes we forget. So sometimes it's really good to remind one another in the spirit that, hey, even in the little things, go to the Lord first. Am I washing the dishes for the Lord? You know, silly little things, but doing it in the atmosphere for the Lord. Don't do it for one another. Do it for the Lord. So I hope that our worship can transcend Sunday mornings, can transcend our music, and just become our life, that the Lord is in and working within every part of our life. Turn to the Lord for the little things and see if maybe that feeling of listlessness can go away. Just my little testimony to you. But spend some time intentionally in the presence of the Lord. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. No thing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen sweetest of loves and my heart becomes free and my shame is Can come. 
uh, or are soon moving, and we want to be able to bring that to your attention and make sure you've got a chance to say goodbye as well. So Ben and Cassandra Russell, many of you know them. Uh, they have already moved to Houston, Texas. Uh, they left the Sunday before we started meeting again. And so they were kind of heartbroken because they never got a chance to say goodbye. So if you know them, you're friends with them, please uh, email and contact them and talk to them. David and Kelly Warner have moved to Dallas, Texas. What's with Texas here? I mean, come on, right? Uh, Paul and Heather Grehan are moving to Littleton, Colorado, and uh, they will be moving soon. And then also uh, Ben and Emily Chen will be moving to San Diego uh, Labor Day. So I think Labor Day is their last Sunday here with us. And I think they'll be on stage helping with worship. So uh, these are all families that uh, uh, you were sad to see them leave. Uh, but just like the Bowmans, we want to send these families off with a blessing and a prayer that they'll find a church home quickly in their new locations, right? If any of you have ever moved, you know that's not the easiest. <laughs> looking at Gamber, right? It's not the easiest move in the world to find home again. So uh, that's important. And... Uh, all of these families have been wonderful team players here at Northview. And, and so uh, make sure you get a chance to love on them and a chance to thank them and say goodbye. And again, what this is illustrating for us, there are good ways to leave a church. Okay? You don't have to disappear or ghost out that, you know, you can say goodbye and you can receive a blessing from your church family and from the Lord and you can leave with confidence and I just feel like often the church doesn't do that very well, and we should model that well. Uh, here's the bottom line. Jesus will take care of them, right? Those of you who move know as you move, Jesus took care of you. He'll take care of them, and Jesus will take care of us. That, that's the other part of the equation you have to remember. He has, he has a tremendous capacity to reload. And so uh, we're going to trust that, and we're going to trust that he's going to bring new friends that we haven't met yet. So that's also... So also, uh, last week, we, here's the Move the Mountain slide, and uh, remember we talked through this, and we mentioned last week that John and Jessica Clements, uh, as a couple, we're going to send them to the assessment center, and what an assessment center is, they go through all, I mean, it's like checking, you know, uh, they check everything, all right? It's not a lot of fun, but they're going to go and check and be assessed as to whether they would be a good fit for a church plant. That's this week. They leave on Tuesday. They're only going to Puyallup, so it's not too far. But uh, we, would you guys pray for them this week? And let's ask God for his discernment on whether uh, that's right and the good thing. Uh, so let's lift them up in prayer. And if the review is favorable, uh, we'll be talking about how to launch Northwind Community Church, which is pretty exciting. All right? And the exciting part is that God may pick some of you to be a part of that plan. All right? And you're going, right? It doesn't work with the Holy Spirit that way, right? You can't duck. So uh, if you have an interest in that, if you, have, uh, if you know John and Jessica, you want to talk to them about that, um, you can talk to them after next week. That'll be great. But last week then, uh, when we did this, I told you that there was more. And there is. Here's, here's the more part. Uh, we believe that God has opened the possibility for a second component here on Move the Mountain, and that is the one under titled their ministry growth, all right? And uh, <clears throat> one of our strategic goals uh, has been uh, to have someone who would, could come on staff and then uh, become my replacement when I step down in three years, okay? And uh, that 
doesn't mean I have to step away. It just means I'm going to step out of this role, okay? 67 and a half. Dinosaurs can go away at that point, right? We need some young blood. Uh, and that was euphemistically called staff growth. I don't know, addition by subtraction or something like that. But um, here's the thing. We want to do a baton pass, all right? We, what we want to do is we don't want to re-engineer the whole thing. We like what God has built here. We like the tone of it. We like the spirit of it. And, and what happens is often you get, when you bring a new pastor on, you get a whole regime change, right? Some of you have been through those. Uh, they are not the easiest things to weather. In most churches, when you're looking at uh, head pastor change, what happens is the existing staff are asked to tender their resignations so that the new pastor can rebuild the team with his people, all right? And, and we want to keep our people. We like our people. So... Um, in a sick or hurting church, that might be wise and beneficial, right? That, that's not a bad thing. But in a, in a healthy church, uh, that's usually a disaster. And so we wanted somebody who knew me. We want somebody who knew our staff, uh, who could come on staff and earn trust within the church and then take the baton pass and lead in the next era of what Jesus has for Norfolk. And, and so uh, this morning, uh, we want to announce that we think we may have found a candidate that would look at, be able to do that. And the couple that has emerged as a candidate is James and Sarah Lund, all right? And many of you know them, all right? They're up there, there's the boys, right? JJ and uh, Hudson and Caleb. And uh, many of you know them, many, uh, you remember James speaking here, right? Powerful, good guy. Um, many of us have prayed for them. We've supported them as missionaries for years. And uh, if you remember, it's through James that we have our connection with Emmanuel and Grace, right? So it's a, a very connected uh, thing for us. Uh, James has been a teacher and a leader around the world, most recently heading up the Youth with a Mission base in uh, Cape Town, South Africa. And they've returned to the States because of their parents' health. I'll give you an update that in just a minute. And also because the doors, uh, South Africa literally changed its um, policy on... Uh, what do you call those things? Visas. There we go. And so the, the, the school isn't as viable as it was, and they've got to redo the whole thing. And, and so as they were uh, wrestling with all that, uh, there, there was this growing sense in them well over a year and a half ago uh, for both of them that their season of ministry in South Africa was coming to an end. And along with that, James had the distinct impression that he was being called by the Lord to be a head pastor. And so James and I had a number of talks like, do you think I could do that? How would I do that? Where would I step to that kind of stuff? And so I had a chance to be a listening ear for him in that process. And uh, our brothers and friends over at Cascade Community Church in Monroe sent their missions team over there. And when they were there, they uh, were having a prayer time and they actually spoke a word into James and Sarah's lives. And they said, hey, you know, while we've been praying, we just sense that you're being called to be a head pastor. And James and Sarah were, of course, shocked because they were like, how could you have possibly known that, right? So God had been putting some pieces together there uh, that they, the, the, the Cascade team actually had no idea that James and Sarah had been thinking those very thoughts themselves. So they're actively seeking God's next step for them, and we feel like they could be a potentially great fit here. So the thought is, let's look together. So here's, here's what we're going to do. They know and love Norfolk, right? They consider Norfolk their home church when they're here in the States. 
James grew up right on the other side of I-5 here in Linwood, so this is home for him. And um, uh, James has found great favor with us, great favor with our staff and our board. And although the timing might be sooner than we had anticipated, there are plenty of things for James to do in an associate's role that he could do for two years. We, there's a lot of stuff we could get done. It would actually be pretty exciting for him to be in that role and then step in. He himself would admit he would like some time to get his feet on the ground, right? And so we're going to look and, and talk about that. Uh, when it comes to the timing thing, uh, I have a saying when it comes to marriage. Often when uh, parents will come to me because they say, our kids are too young to get married, and buy, right? And I go, well, how old were you when you got married? That's not the point. <laughs> Right? Isn't it funny how what looks okay for you doesn't look okay for your kids? It's an amazing thing. But I always tell the, the parents, I always tell them, usually it's the mom, I say, look, here's the deal. Is he the right guy? We, we use the guy side of it this time. Is he the right guy? Oh, we love him. But they're just too young. Is he the right guy? Why do you keep asking that? Well, here's the point. Far better the right guy at the wrong time than the wrong guy at the right time. Right? And I think that's really true for us as a church, too. Far better the right person show up at the wrong timing than the wrong person to show up at the right timing. And we really think uh, this could be, uh, you know, something special. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a look and see if this is from the Lord and see if the fit's there. Uh, we formed an evaluation team. Uh, we can't really call it a search team because we already found a candidate. So we're calling it an evaluation team. Isn't that clever of us? Aren't you impressed? Yeah. All right. Uh, but it's made up of a cross-section of us here at Northview to evaluate James and Sarah's fit. And that's going to happen in September, uh, first or second week of September. So uh, that's coming up here pretty quick. And then once they're done with that, we'll let you know the results of the team's assessment. And if favorable, then we'll start talking about what next steps it would look like for us as a congregation. Uh, also... For James and Sarah, if we could pray for them as a family, uh, James, one of the reasons he's back is because his dad has pancreatic cancer, his dad, Jim. And so uh, Jim goes in for surgery on Tuesday, September 1st. So that's, that's not this week, but the next week after. So if we could pray for that. And then on top of that, Sarah's stepfather, Daryl, uh, is on a second round of prostate cancer and it's gone into the bone, right? So that's not good. So if we could lift them up and pray for them, they, they're, right, they're kind of upside down. They've moved across the world and they're facing all this stuff and they and their families could really use our prayers. So if you'd remember to keep them in our prayers, that would be fantastic, all right? All right, um, there'll be more, but that's enough for this morning. Let's get to the message. Would you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Lord, uh, lots of stuff. You're dropping things in place that we had out there farther and... Uh, but you know stuff we don't know, and so we trust that. We would lift James and Sarah up to you, and this deal we lift uh, John and Jessica up to you as they go to assessment this week. Lord, this is popping things that uh, it's pretty exciting, and so we seek you. Uh, we seek your sense of right fit. We know when that happens, and Father, we ask for that. We ask for their families, Lord, that you'd have mercy on the two dads and uh, heal them. And we ask for your healing power to come upon Jim and Daryl. We ask that you would help them. Uh, Lord, may you baffle the doctors. We seek you for that. And then, Lord, we ask you for this morning as we're going to look at uh, some psalms that are 
about prayer, and I think they relate to us really well right now in this whole uh, COVID-19 uh, pandemic that we're wrestling with. Lord, help us uh, this morning look at this topic, and may you have freedom uh, in the room and freedom in the homes as we've gathered together. And give that to you in your name. Amen. All right, so as I mentioned, this morning we're going to deal with the issue of prayer, so take your Bibles, turn to Psalm 69, that's where we're going to go. And the question on the table is this, is it worth it? Is it worth it to really pray? Now, theoretically and theologically, the answer is what? Yes, okay? But practically is where I'm talking, because practically is where we get gummed up. Practically is where we have a hard time. Practically, it's a good thought and intention, but we don't actually pray. Does anything really happen? Or am I just wasting my time? Is this just words going out into empty space? Have you ever thought that? You ever asked the question, anybody really listening out there? Or am I just talking to myself? As we stated earlier in the series, we were talking and we said that there's almost 8 billion people on the planet, of which 330 million uh, of us would be known as Americans, citizens of the United States of America, which is becoming more of an oxymoron with each passing day, right? And, uh, but there's a lot of us. And the lie would tell us that there's no one out there. Nobody's really listening. And here's the point. Even if they were, there's no God that could be big enough to hear all those prayers all going at once. There are way too many other people and way too many other agendas uh, for, your, for your plea to be heard. So why waste your time? And we're going to take a look this morning at a story that will be pretty compelling of why it's worth our time uh, to do that. You know, Jesus told us to pray. Not only that, he taught us how to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? And all of us pray in one form or another. Uh, the, the stereotypical posture of prayer is kneeling down, right, and praying. Uh, but many of us pray while we're walking, while we're running, while we're working out, while we're doing dishes, while we're mowing the lawn. Uh, there's lots of postures of prayer that, that we do it in. But we especially pray when we find ourselves in dire straits or troubles or predicaments, right? This is often called foxhole prayers. I'm about to die. God, please help. <laughs> right? and, and, and we get to places where, wow, we're not sure we're going to make it through today, let alone tomorrow. And so these are, you know, yelling prayers, God help, right? Wow, kind of thing. So today we're going to look at, at two Psalms. We're going to look at Psalm 69. We won't even get to 88. But what I want you to see is that 69 and 88 are parallel. So we're going to go through 69. Then I'm going to have you look at 88 after this morning and look at the parallels between them. And you'll see that they're both saying the same thing. So let's start with this. Um, and by the way, when I, I, when I started this, I thought of doing the Psalm series, I really had no idea we would be in the predicament of the culture that we're in right now, right? 
So it's not like Steve was clever and planned this out and uh, was tricky that way. So the Lord really laid this out for us. Uh, but um, So let's look. Starting with verse 1, it reads like this. Save me, O God. You ever prayed that? Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out and my throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. Notice it's a cry of desperation, right? It's a prayer of, of extreme circumstances. The phrase, the waters have come up to my neck, is particularly descriptive. I remember trout fishing in Wisconsin on the Wolf River. Isn't that a cool name for a trout river? I was fishing on the Wolf River, and uh, uh, we were out there fishing, and there was a hole that I could see a little bit farther out in the river. If you know how to read the water, I could see the water deepened there, and so I wanted to get out there and flick my stuff out there. And, and so I was in water about up to my ankles, and I stepped out a little bit, and it was about between my ankles and knees. And if you've ever been in a stream, water has a ton of force to it. Okay? it, it it's astonishingly surprising how fast it can sweep you away. And so I was sitting there fishing, looking out, and I, I couldn't quite get to those. So then I walk out a little farther, and now the water's above my knees. And I'm not thinking too much of it because I'm focused on that, you know, cut out there that I see. And right as I do that, as I flick, uh, I, I, the gravel gets out under my feet and I go downstream about a foot or two, right? Well, now the water's over my knees, coming about my thighs, but I'm not really paying too much attention to that because I'm fishing, right? Guys, you know where I'm at, right? I'm fishing. And, uh, and so I'm, that, I, that's fine. I can always turn around and go back to the bank. And right as I do that again, the gravel erodes some more, and I go another foot or two downstream. Now all of a sudden, the water's over my hips, and I'm thinking, gee, I should do something. So I turn, and downstream I go again, another foot or two, and now the water's right up to here on my waders, right? I'm literally on my tiptoes, and the only thing that stopped me was I had my foot on a rock. And so I was able to put my rock, and I'm on my tiptoes thinking, all right, this is not so good. <laughs> Because I'm out in the middle of the stream now, out in the middle of this river, and the shore's like over there, like where the wall is. I'm thinking, that's a long way to go, right? And so obviously I made it out, okay? But um, what happened there is I had to literally, it took me almost a half hour to inch myself back upstream to where I could get and start angling back towards the bank, and by the time I was done, I was absolutely exhausted, taking every, all the strength I had, and I was in my 20s, so I was strong at that point. I mean, it was everything I'd do to fight against that current. This is what David's talking about here. He says, when the waters have come up to my neck, he says, I'm about to be drowned. Look at the um, saying here where he says, the, the, this next picture is even worse than that. He says, uh, it's bad, it's like sinking in muck, right? And you're sinking and muck, and as you're sinking, the waters are going to come up over your head. Uh, just carries the whole idea of stuck and, and being drowned. God, this is desperate. I need your help. I'm trapped in quicksand, and, and there's really no way out. And, and he, he says it in words like, my, my throat is hoarse from yelling out to you. Okay? You, ever, you ever actually physically done that, where you're yelling out to God, you need his help? Right? and your, your throat is hoarse. He says, I'm bawling my head off. Where are you? I'm losing hope. I'm running out of time. I'm a goner if you don't answer right now. 
That's the spirit of what he's saying right there. Look at the next verses, verse 4. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. What I did not steal must I now restore? Going, God, I've got a ton of enemies. They're powerful and they're lying like banshees. Aren't you going to do something about this? Are you going to let injustice like this prevail? Are, are you going to let them just run me over? Right? And do I have to cover for stuff that I didn't even do? They're throwing stuff at me that's not even true. And, I, and they're forcing me to repay stuff that I'm not even responsible. Are you serious? Like, how's that work? And you can begin to feel the roll here. He's building momentum, right? This prayer is starting to launch. You ever get on a roll in prayer? And, and you're, you're starting to go, in, and God and this, and God and that. And, he, and he's rolling. And then right in the middle of this, and the brakes, come on. We hit this hiccup. It, there's like this burp, spiritual burp that happens. Look at the next verse, verse 5. Oh God, you know my folly. And the wrongs that I have done are not hidden from you. Boom. All right, what, what just happened right there? Sometimes we're reading this stuff and we just roll over it and we don't think much of it. But stop and think about who's writing this psalm. It's King David. Right? And right here, right at this verse, we see the power and the paralyzing nature of a guilty conscience. David had a guilty conscience, and he knew it. He knew he had sinned. Just look Psalm 51, and you can pick up the story, but that's the story of David and Bathsheba. While we look at David, let's ask the question of us this morning. Easy to point at David, but how about us? Has your sin ever stopped you from praying? Were you going to go to God and you started praying, then all of a sudden, ah, I think I'll just walk away. Ever get your sin thrown in your face when you've tried to pray to God? You're not worthy. You're dirty. You're stained. He'll never hear you. Has Satan reminded you why you can't and why God wouldn't hear even if you did? If you know that feeling, then you know exactly how David's feeling right here. He had botched it royally, no pun intended. He's in the middle of a crisis and desperately needs to pray to God. And right as he does that, the sin, his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah and all its implications hit him right in the face. Truly, the wrongs that he had done were not hidden from God. And I want to suggest this morning, neither are ours. We have a God who sees. So what did David do? What does he do? If you're stuck like that, do you just walk? How do you respond to that? And here's where David's great. He knew he was dead meat. He knew he was guilty. So what does he do? He confesses. Look at, look at the next verse. He says, let not those who hope in you, verse 6 through 8, let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me, O Lord, God of hosts. Let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through me, O God of Israel. 
It is for your sake that I've borne reproach that dishonor has covered my face. I've become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's sons. If we were to put that in English, it'd be, please, God, don't wipe out other believers because of me and my folly, my stupidity, my sin. Don't take me down. Don't take my family down. Don't take my kingdom down. Right? Don't let those who are seeking you experience shame and dishonor because of my disobedience. My sin has not only separated me from you, but from my family. In essence, here's what he's saying. Ah, I know what I've done. I got it. I know what I've done. I know I'm wrong. But here's the point. I still need to pray to you. I can't undo that. I'd love to undo that. Only you can undo that. But I've got to talk to you. I've got to pray. And I want to suggest that this is a terrible catch-22 for any believer. And, and here's why. If you go to 1 Thessalonians 4, you don't have to go there now, but uh, this week if you want to look it up, look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8. And uh, it tells us there that if we cheat or defraud, if we transgress in these kind of matters, that God is the avenger in all these things. So what does an avenger do, right? The avenger movies are popular. They're all out there, right? And, and if you're old school, it's Superman or Batman. If you're really old school, it's Lone Ranger, right? But what does an avenger do? They, a wrong is committed, and they come in and right the wrong. In this case, when sin is committed... Who's the person that comes in to right the wrong? It's God. He's the avenger in all these things. So the problem we have is if we're sinning and we're praying, which we do all the time, if we're sinning and praying, the very guy we're praying to is the guy coming after us to right the wrong. That sound like a dilemma to anybody? Anybody been there? Anybody been caught in that whirlpool? Verse 9, for zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. I'm the talk of those who sit in the gate, and the drunkards make songs about me. Right? What? What's, what's that all about? Well, verse 9, by the way, there, if you recognize that, that was uh, very famously applied to Jesus when he cleansed the temple. Remember that? So this is actually a prophetic stretch of scripture right here. But it's a reminder of how passionately and deeply David wanted to build temple. Remember, he was famous for that. He put all, Solomon may have built it, but David put all the supplies together for it. David got it all ready. David spent years anticipating building that. And so now... His sin has wiped out that opportunity. It's no longer on the table. He no longer gets to do that. Now his son is going to get to do that. And as a result, his repentance is mocked. In other words, they're making fun of him. Oh yeah, Mr. Righteous Holy Dude. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And watch how deep and cutting this is. Byword, a byword means you're no longer part of the real discussion. You've been set aside. You ever been felt set aside by the Lord because of your sin? Not in the discussion anymore? That's what David is talking about here. Talk at the gate means you're now the subject of the town gossip. There's a whole lot of people talking about you and it's not flattering. 
right? It's airing your dirty underwear out in the public, and everybody gets to see it, and everybody gets to know. Uh, drunkards singing songs about you is even worse. That means they're making up songs about this stuff in the bars and taverns in town. You are the subject of the fodder for their reverie and their mocking. And uh, you're, you're the target. You're the bullseye. Oh yeah, Mr. Big Britches, hypocrite. David, basically, what are we saying here? If we were to put it in our language, David has lost his street cred. Right? He's no longer got street cred. He no longer uh, can pull out the, hey, I'm the king and I'm righteous card. Uh, because everybody would just throw it right back in his face. What, so the question is then, what is David to do? And this is the point this morning that I think really connects with us. So if you haven't heard anything else, tie in right now. What do you do when you're stuck there? Let's not act like we don't sin, okay? Churches that act like they don't sin are plastic. Hi, how are you? Fine. And we're all just fine. And we're just all sitting and hanging together finally. And we are having a wonderful time being fine together. And it is ridiculous and it's stupid because we're acting like none of us sin. That's not true. We mess up during the week. That's why you need a community group. That's why you need a posse. That's why you need people who you've got accountability, people that you can call and talk to. Hey, I blew it this week. I just let it fly with my wife. Oh my gosh, what was... Okay, you're going to go back? You're going to confess? You're going to ask for forgiveness? You're going to... Right? You've got to have people like that. There's no such thing as a sinless church. You know, the world says, well, the church is full of hypocrites. Well, the church is full of people who are willing to admit their sin. Where the church becomes hypocritical is when we admit we don't have any sin. Now, that makes sense to you? We're not together people. We're not holy people, holier than all the people out in our neighborhoods and that kind of stuff. We're just gathering together because we actually admit we have a problem. This is kind of like AA. Hi, my name's Steve. I'm a sinner. Hi, Steve. Right? Isn't that really what church is about? The greatness of church is not the people in the church. The greatness of the church is the God of the church. The greatness of the church is Jesus, not us. And when we get that turned around, we mess up everything. And that's what David had done. He messed up everything. So what does he do? He does something profound. He does the same thing we need to do. Here's the point of the message. You know what you do when you sin? You need to pray. And you need to keep praying. Whether you feel lousy or crappy or not, it really doesn't matter. It's not about how you feel. It's about what you're supposed to do. When we sin, we need to keep praying. We need to approach God no matter how bad it feels. Not because we're good, because He's good. Look at the verses. Look at verse 13. But as for me... In spite of all the mockery and all the stuff we talked about just going on here, what does David say? But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. i got to get rid of other people's opinions at this point. I, there's no room for it. I've just got to go straight to you. i got no other out. If somebody's going to kick my behind, it might as well be you. So I'm coming in faith to you that you will hear my prayer. That's gutsy. That's courage. At an acceptable time, O oh God, in the abundance, look at this phrase, at the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. That is powerful. 
Listen to that again. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O God, at an acceptable time, O God. In other words, your timing, not my timing, at your timing. In the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Why do we come to God? Because he saves us. He removes our sin. He cleanses us. He washes us. We don't clean our act up. It's like a shower. Right? A lot of you, it's summer, you're working on the yards, you've gone camping, you smell like smoke kind of stuff. Do you clean up before you go to the shower? No. That's why you have a shower. You go to the shower to get clean. Right? Same thing. We don't go to God. We don't clean up our act before we come to God. We go to God to get our act cleaned up. And by the way, after you've taken a shower, do you put the old clothes back on? Let's say you've been camping, you smell like smoke. So do you take a nice shower, get all clean, fresh, and then put the old clothes and smell like smoke back on again? No, right? The idea there is you have to agree with God, God cleanses you, and then you leave that behind. You don't put the old clothes on anymore. You put new clothes on, right? And that's the whole picture in the New Testament of the sanctification process. David does something here I want to suggest is really profound, and we could skip over this. What does he do? He keeps praying. He knows. He knows he's messed it up. He's messed his kingdom up. He's messed his family up. What does he do? He keeps praying. Now, that may not sound all that profound to you this morning, but I want to suggest to you it really is. I want to suggest to you that is greatness right there. He does not let his sin stop him from seeking the Lord. That's what our culture is doing today. We have to choose between God and sin. Okay, we'll choose sin. As a result of choosing sin, we won't seek God anymore. We just won't show up. Right? And, and that's what you have in our country is just a lot of people said, we're done. We, we're no longer going to seek God. We'd rather have our sin because trying to sin and trying to pray is too hard. And I would agree with that. <laughs> and have you ever done that? That's a misery. Yeah, it's just a whole lot to say, done with that, right? I'll just sin. And the Bible says, no, no, turn, turn to God. David does not let his sin uh, stop him from seeking the Lord. He's counting on what? He's counting on God's goodness. He's counting not on his goodness, but he's counting on God's steadfast love to see him through. That phrase, look at that phrase again. In the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. David knows something about God that we need to know. You approach him no matter what. Because it's God who has saving faithfulness and it's God who rescues us from our sins. We cannot rescue ourselves from our own sins. We cannot clean ourselves up half the time. We have to pray and ask God to wash us. I think this is an enormous relational theological spiritual principle right here. A big one that we miss half the time. Where we get in trouble is we sin and then we go silent. Now, we have to fake it because most of us live in Christian families. And there's other believers around us. So we can't just totally go silent. You know, hey Brooke, will you pray for dinner? Okay, uh, instant Christian rhetoric prayer. What is it? Right? And you, you pop it off. 
But we go silent. And usually we go silent for any period of time. It can be anywhere from a day to a couple months. If we go silent in the period of a couple months, what happens is that starts to, to roll up and now we're vulnerable because there's other things coming into play because we're no longer praying. And now we go from the water, right? The water's going from your ankles up to your knees, up to your thighs, up to your hips. And David says, the water's where? Up to my neck. In other words, I can barely breathe anymore. That's what happens when we stop praying. If we only pray when we are good enough for our prayers to be heard, then there's not going to be a lot of praying going on. Right? Because nobody wants to get exposed. But if we pray when we're counting on God's steadfast love to meet our prayers and saving faithfulness, then in spite of our sin, there will be a lot of prayer going on. So here's the good news. You can still pray even though you're a sinner. Did you know that? You don't have to let your sins stop prayer this week. You don't have to not pray. You can pray. God, I know I'm a mess, and I also know I'm dirty, but I've got to seek you. And I'm not just faking it. I need you. I need your presence. I need to be close to you. I need to think your way. I need to be in your word. Help me. Help me draw close to you even when I don't want to. This is why David is called a man after God's own heart. What does any parent want? If their kid's messing up and sinning, what do they want? Just come to me. Tell me. Talk to me. Let's see if we can figure something out. Isn't that the heart of a parent? Right? That's the heart of God. Son, daughter, I know. Come on, come, come close. Let's talk. And it's the issue of coming close, and that's what David does. He draws close. That's why he's called the man after God's heart. He wasn't, he, David was counting on God, not on David. Then he goes into this prayer. Look at verse 14. Deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from deep waters. Let not the flood water sweep over me or the deep swallow me up or the pit close it. There was a lot of ways he was going to get killed. And he's starting listing, God, here's the places I'm in trouble in. Pull me out of the muck. Save me from my enemies. Don't let me sink and... and get caught in a flood and, and just have it sweep over me and I get wiped out. Isn't that a legitimate prayer for us today? God, there are currents in our culture. There are things going on that are threatening to swamp not just the church, but our country, right? And we're like, ah! And David's saying, hey, it's a great place to pray. God, don't let us go down to the pit. Answer me, O Lord, verses 16. Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy. See how he's counting on God? He's counting on the character and the heart of God. Who's great in this is God, not David. Who's great in the church today is God, not us. God, according to your abundant mercy, turn to me. I know, I need your help. Don't hide your face from me. I'm in distress. I don't know what to do. I know I botched it. Please come talk to me. Make haste to answer me. That's an old way to say that, right? Draw near to my soul. Redeem me. Ransom me because of my enemies. You know my reproach. Look at verse 19. My shame and my dishonor 
And my foes are all known well, all well known to you. Do you see how David's listing it? He's just putting it right out there. God, you know my reproach. You know my shame. You know my dishonor. Wow. And then he says this, reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, there was none. I looked for comforters, but found none. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. His enemies in the kingdom and his foes knew his sin very well, and their reproaches, it says here, broke his heart. Reproaches means they had fun slamming his character. Okay? They got a kick out of it. Oh, he's down, let's kick him. And they were doing a good job of it. They were mocking his claims. They were shredding his credibility. He says, I looked around for support. He found nothing. You ever felt alone? Like there's nobody there for you? The Bible says, well, there is. God's there for you. That's what David is counting on. This last verse, again, by the way, is so famously applied to Jesus when he hung on the cross and he said, I'm thirsty. And then it says, they gave him sour wine to drink. So again, this... This prayer of David's becomes prophetic in the fulfillment of the New Testament. You do, you do not know the fulfillment of your prayers. You just never know. You might be uh, praying future things of the kingdom and you don't even know it. David was. Verse 22, let their table... Then here he goes into prayer again. Now he's freed up, so watch it roll. Here's what he says. Let their own table before them become a snare... When they're at peace, let them become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see. And may their loins tremble continually. That's a great phrase, right? Just falling apart out of fear. Pour out your indignation upon them. Let your burning anger overtake them. May their camp be a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tents, for they persecuted him whom you've struck down. And they recount the pains of those that you have wounded. Add to them punishment upon punishment. May they have no acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. Is that a rolling prayer or what? He's on it now. He's back. Boom, boom, boom. This is what's got to happen. Look at verse 29. But I, but I'm afflicted and in pain. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high. Notice despite this and his, his own acknowledgement that it was his own sin that had put him there, David still turns back to God. Affliction and pain are used by God. Sometimes affliction and pain are used by God to help us see the loss and the cost of our sin. Most of the time when we sin, we sin because we think we can control the consequences. And one of the things I've tried to teach us as a church is you can never control the consequences of your sin. They have ways of jumping out. They have ways of jumping out of the basket or the box that you put them in. You can't control the consequences. There's a million different ways they can surprise and shock you. Okay? You never can see down the road. And that's why God says you need to trust him when he says no, because he knows something about that that you don't know. I'm afflicted in pain. Let your salvation, O oh God, set me on high. God lets affliction and pain so that we turn back to him. Many of us know what it's like to cry before the Lord. Right? We've failed. 
NIV translate these words, that last phrase says, I'm in pain and distress. May your salvation, O God, protect me. You know, God, I, I'm so vulnerable. I'm shaking like a leaf right now. I've got nothing. I, I need you to protect me. I don't even know how to pray at this point. That's what he's saying. David is trusting God's salvation to protect him, not his own schemes or strength. You ever try to dig your way out of your own sin and it just gets worse? David is praying. He realizes he can't do that. And I want to suggest in the midst of affliction, praise is powerful. Here's the point. Are things difficult right now in our culture? Yes. But this is a great place to praise God. This is where it makes sense to praise God. Look at, look at what David does. Look how he goes on. He says, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify... By the way, didn't the worship team do a great job this morning? Wasn't that awesome? Oh my goodness, thank you guys. I will praise the name of God with a song. I'll magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns or hooves. In other words, the most expensive and biggest offerings we can give back in those days were those things. David's saying praise will be a better gift than those things. When the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners. How do we become prisoners? We become prisoners when we sin. And don't look at me like I'm someone who's talking to you and I don't sin and you do and therefore you better get your act together. No, we sin. Okay? Me included. That's why you should pray for me more often. Dear God, help Steve. Okay? So that he is a good pastor. Not, dear God, help Steve because he is a good pastor. Help Steve be a good pastor. Notice here, what are we talking about? Notice the emphasis on humility. Do you see that in there? If anybody could have been cocky, wouldn't it have been King David? If anybody could have said, the heck with you, off with your heads. I'll take you all off. Wouldn't it have been David? Right? And yet he reacts humbly. We've taught many times that one of God's universal principles is that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the, to the humble. Right? That's found in James chapter 4. It's found in 1 Peter chapter 5 in major significant passages that talk about the significant importance of humility. And that's what this is illustrating. David is telling others, look to God again. Don't give up. And I, Isn't that a great word for today? Look to him again. Don't, don't give up. God hears our prayers. He knows the traps that are being set for us. He knows we're needy. And so the Bible says, okay, just acknowledge that and cry out to him then. Just turn to him. Revive your hearts in him. Reset your foundation in him. Make it firm. And it's basically saying, look, look to him and look hard. Don't just let yourself get distracted with the most minute little thing that comes along. Seek God. Find him. Tell him you need him. And what it, David is saying here is that he will answer. And why will he answer? Because he's the God of the universe. He is the immortal one. Look at the closing verses. And with this we'll wrap up. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and he'll build up the cities of Judah. The people shall dwell there and possess it. The offspring of his servants shall inherit it. And those who love his name shall dwell in it. And I want to suggest this morning, just as David prayed to God to save Zion and Jerusalem, 
So we pray that God will save the church today. God, they are threat. the threat is we are going to run the church over. The church is an ancient, dysfunctional organization that really we don't need anymore. And it would be a whole lot better if it wasn't around and it was gone. And there are a lot of people that would delight, delight in taking the church out. We pray that God will save the church today. We as the church are under tremendous assault. So what do we do? Pray. What do we do if we sinned this week and we botched it? Pray. What do we do? Lean in, not away. Lean towards him. Believe that his, his saving goodness, right, his steadfast love can see past that and he'll treat you as a father. Will there be consequences? Yes. Might you get a spanking? Yes. Will you have affliction? Yes. But that doesn't mean you should quit praying. Remember the old hymn? It expresses this so well, and I'll put this all in a nutshell. If you remember nothing else in the sermon, remember this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And what? The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of what? His glory and grace. Let's seek him, church. Let's pray. Father, this is a great, great psalm. Life-giving lessons that we walk in and we understand. We know what David's talking about. We felt what David is talking about. There have been many times where we have sinned and gone, I no longer have the right to talk to you. I should just walk away. Lord, you're so gracious. You, you see past that. The, the, the whole picture of the prodigal son comes to play here. He just had to turn his eyes back to his father. And Lord, that's what we need to do today. Though us here, us watching as the church, we, need, we are uh, gathered yet scattered because of what's going on in our culture. Lord, we need to turn to you and we need to pray. Would you help us do that in spite of our sin? Give us clear consciences, wash us, and may we seek you because of who you are because you're good, not because we're good. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. We're going to give you a chance to respond. So I ask you to stand as you're able and join us. And as we play through this last song, I just want to invite you to close your eyes as you feel led. Put out your hands if you're comfortable. And just have some one-on-one -on -one dialogue with the Lord. Let's spend some time in prayer while this song just washes over you. But let's respond to what we have heard this morning. Through it. 
love and saving faithfulness is why we came in the first place. Why would that be any different now? May we ring that true in our hearts and know that we can approach you as Father. Abba, Father. God, we give that to you with great hope. We ask for your sake and your kingdom's sake that you'll galvanize us as a church across the world. Lord, in all different forms and shapes, we ask for your help. We give that to you in your name. Amen. As I said, we didn't even cover uh, Psalm 88, but this week, hey, take a look at that. Look at the parallels. You'll be greatly encouraged by it. Again, if you'd help us by going out the back doors here so that we've got the lobby all sanitized and stuff, if you could just go that way, it'd be really helpful. Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. Those of you watching, prayer points and questions are online. You can pick them up and dialogue at home. All right, we'll see you.